Father's Day, May 30th, otherwise known as. This is gonna be two bad ones, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with both of them. You got your choice between Mint Julep Day and Water a Flower Day. Oh, what are you man. going for? Cocktails like all mi- day. Mint juleps? I don't know. I know it's a cocktail, but I don't know anything about it. I think it's kind of like a mojito with whiskey. Okay. Either way, it's that better than watering a flower. So. <laughs> so we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take, yeah, exactly. We'll take anything over watering a flower day. All right. Well, we did miss a really good one by two days, but I'm not going to say what it is because eventually it's going to fall on a Thursday. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But for now, what have you guys been working on? Well, I am happy to announce that I am releasing the attic renovation video that I've been working on for the past month or so. Mm. I'm not sure how long it's been, but I am very happy to have it done. It looks great. I've already released the DIY plywood floors as well as the door upgrade video. And right. this is sort of the the overall thing to round it all out. Yeah, this is the culmination of all of it. So, so when is this out? Is this out by the time people are hearing this or? That's correct. My talking? goal is to have it out on Wednesday. And so if you're listening uh, to this on Thursday, check that subscription feed and make sure it's in there. And if it's not in your subscription feed, please let me know. I don't know if this is YouTube. I don't know if this is user error. But lately, I've been getting a lot of comments on my videos saying that my videos aren't showing up in subscriptions feeds. It's really? not something I want to harp on. It's not anything I want to complain about. But if that happens to you and you are subscribed to me, please let me know because I'm curious. Have any of you guys heard anything about that? I don't get that, but like you can tell that... So I don't know if they mean subscription feed or if they just mean like the homepage, the recommended stuff. But right. I know that obviously a lot of times things don't show up in there because it's based off what you're watching. But yeah, I'll still get messages from time to time like, oh man, you've moved shops. It's like, yeah, right, like <laughs> 20 videos ago. Or you get those random comments where it's like, hey man, it's great to see you posting again. Yeah. And you're like, I have been. I didn't <laughs> Post stop. Like three times every month, damn it. Yeah, yeah but, but anyways... I'm really glad to have this project out. I'm excited to sort of move on to other things. Renovations yeah. definitely have a way of wearing on you a little bit and and just getting you excited to, like I mentioned last week, excited to build something that's kind of self-encapsulated. Right. Um. So that video is great. It's going to be a long one, though. This video is about 23 minutes. Oh, wow. And Chris, you recently put out a long video. I put out a 30-minuter, yeah. Wow. A full 30 minutes? Full 30. Wow. I think it was All like right, 30 so- in a couple seconds. So what did you learn? Do you have any advice for me? Since I, um, I still haven't made this video live yet. So this is all, this is all no, I mean, going to happen. I think 22 minutes is probably going to be good because there's, I'm sure, a lot to cover within that video. Right. So I would, I would bet that your pacing will be faster than mine was. So I think as long as you're never intentionally dragging something out, you're good. I wouldn't even worry about there being such a thing as too long. So an entire renovation of a, of a room in 22 minutes, I think that your pacing is probably going to be pretty on the on the quicker side but like making sure you're hitting everything so i'm sure you're gonna be good very cool yeah and you're right it is a little bit on the quick side especially towards the end where once i had gotten the drywall up the floors done it was to the point where i had to build you know a a floating media console do a little bit of electrical work some trim those types of things as i was editing Mm -hmm. and realizing that i was already at 18 minutes long 19 minutes long it got to where I kind of sped through it a little bit. So instead of showing people the step-by-step on how to build this console, I more or less assembled it in 30 seconds, put it on the wall and kind of said done. So it's definitely not a tutorial on some of the smaller things, but I think it's got a good pace and hopefully people enjoy it. My past couple videos have been performing above average. Uh, I think the floors and the door definitely gave my channel a little bit of boost, which is what it's been needing. So 
hopefully this just keeps the keeps the trend alive and going north. Keeps that rocket moving up. So then let me ask you this. So if some of the things you glossed over, if somebody were to watch this video, what do you think the takeaway for them would be? Like, what are you hoping to get them excited to do? Like just turn a room into a theater or specific the flooring? I guess that's covered in another video, but what do you think? So I, I, I've landed on this quote that I don't think I heard it from anybody else, but it, it kind of came to me somewhere. And the idea is information is way more valuable than inspiration. Hmm. And I think that I think that totally kind of is true, especially in our space. If I built a coffee table, but I didn't go into a lot of detail on how I did it, I don't think as many people would get as much value out of it. And so I made sure to give as much helpful and useful information as I could. So when we were running electrical, I was giving people reasons why we were doing the things we were. Whenever I was installing the lighting, I was giving tips on, you know, I used these recessed lighting cans because they're insulated and they're rated to touch insulation and not be a fire hazard. So I tried to give as much of that sort of thing as I could. But really, I think I think the heart behind this video, though, is just showing a big room renovation is just a bunch of small tasks piled on top of each other. Gotcha. And they're all doable and no single no single thing is impossible. And because of that, the entire room renovation is totally, totally possible. Gotcha. So it could be the type we'll of thing see. that, you know, people walk away. They're entertained by it, obviously, and hopefully. Yeah. And then, you know, it'll they'll have gained some information from it that they can pull upon whenever the time comes. Yeah. It's definitely not a thing where it's like don't watch this unless you plan on doing a theater room. Right. The information could be used to turn an attic into a guest room. It could be used to turn a garage into a man cave. Because right. a lot of that stuff isn't theater specific up until the point where I'm installing the projector and doing doing the projector wall where I'm doing that whole skim coat to get it super smooth. So there's gotcha. a couple of things that are theater specific, but a lot of it is just the renovation process at large. Nice. Yeah. But what have you guys been working on? I'm curious. I've been cutting polycarbonate today. Ooh. So I finally I thought opened you were up. you going to say farts. No. Uh, I, opened farts up the, I opened up the crate. No, I got what you were saying, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, cutting farts today. Um, I opened up the crate that I got from this, like, uh, I think it was a greenhouse mega store that I ordered the polycarbonate from. So opened it up and uh, been experimenting with cutting. It's cutting very cleanly just with a circular saw and a Diablo uh, 60, 60 tooth uh, finished blade. Awesome. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's very lightweight and I'm using the three wall. So it has two sort of, it's about three quarters of an inch thick and it has double cells in it so there's three there's a middle wall and then two outer walls oh wow i don't think i've seen that the ones that i'm familiar with is it's it's a bunch of repeating squares but it's only one square thick so this one is three squares thick uh three walls so two two rectangles thick got it wall space yeah so it's like a big mac yeah yeah exactly (laughs) is sort of about an inch wide and three eighths of an inch deep and, and I'm assuming that just gives it better insulating properties. Yeah. And cool. rigidity too. So mm, what's nice, nice is that it's really lightweight and rigid. So I'm working on a kind of like a cabinet or a wardrobe design because I really want to take advantage of the the rigidness, but the lightweightness to make custom hinges 
that would probably not do well with a really heavy plywood door. So been experimenting with that today. I got my 3D printers all up and running, the ones I got from Matter Hackers. Yeah, I've seen that. You've been printing like crazy, though. What are you working on? So I'm going to do two of these polycarbonate cabinets, one where I'm doing like a wood exterior skeleton. And that one's going to look a little bit like Japanese rice paper doors, where it's like the paper with the wood frames. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that, but like more three-dimensional. So it'll be like a the wood one will have a a wood lattice uh, exterior skeleton that and then uh, the inside of it will all be translucent. So you'll see this kind of grid of wood and translucent white plastic behind it. And then the awesome. 3D printed one, I will do the exterior uh, skeleton out of conduit with 3D printed kind of art deco styled joints. So I'm printing all the, the right angle connections that are going to attach conduit to other conduit and then to polycarbonate. So these connectors, did you find these online? Like, are they open source or did you have to model them? I modeled them, but it, the modeling is is pretty easy. I guess it's that funny. makes sense, yeah. I was sort of trying to figure out, at first I was going to do this really space age alien looking thing that kind of looked like something out of the movie Venom where there's just like, you know, this kind of like bubblegum stretched kind of reachy structure. Yeah. Right, yeah. where it's almost crawling across the surface. Right, like organic cell looking things. So I was experimenting a little bit in fusion using that, and I kind of got it the way I sort of was working, but mm, not super great. And then I had like eight more different pieces to model, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be a time. <laughs> so I did something where I started thinking about what's an aesthetic that I like. Not the aesthetic that I think is ideal, but an aesthetic that I like that fits my the, the modeling software and the 3D printing uh, capabilities a little bit better. And so I got onto Pinterest and I started looking at like Art Deco details. And I'm like, oh, Art Deco details are really easy to model in software. Is that because it's a lot of, a lot of curves and a lot of radiuses, but in Fusion, is that not a tough thing to do? It's because there, it's a lot of built up detail of like layering. So if you Ooh, think okay. of like, like a like a art deco building it you could build an art deco building well out of legos <laughs> you would just take a square <laughs> and just keep adding more square articulation to it okay so, so it'd be like a stepped pyramid kind of thing but more stretched out vertically and i found all these cool art deco kind of bracket corner details and i kind of looked at those but they were a little bit too i don't know like a little too uh ne- they had a little too like many curves mixed in with the square, with the kind of right angle stuff. So it looked a little bit like a like a Native American headdress kind of thing. So I kind of simplified and did my own, and made some pretty cool, yeah, some pretty cool looking uh, details. So it's gonna be interesting. They're all kind of square right angle details, but then these round pieces of conduit will kind of you know go into them. And yeah, I hadn't done any three D printing in a while. The three D printers now are much better than the ones I used, you know, two or three years ago and way, way better than the ones I used four or five years ago. I'm curious what machines you're using because you said these came from Matter Hackers. So this is one that they sell? Uh, yes. So they sell all, a whole bunch of different brands. These are the Pulse, the Pulse D, I think. And they, I printed both in nylon, which is really strong and is not a typical 3D printing material. 
So they also have carbon fiber reinforced nylon, so you can print really strong things. And I'll use that for some of the truck modifications I'm going to do later. But the nylon was a little bit tricky at first because it's harder to get to stick to the bed. And I had like a few times where it just kept the the print kept uh, warping and coming off the bed and I had to start over. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now they actually use a glue stick. And so you rub the bed when you're printing nylon with like a like an Elmer's glue stick and that helps you get better (laughs) adhesion. But then you have to clean the bed with rubbing alcohol afterwards, which is kind of a pain. So I remember back in the day when you did that concrete paver project where you made the 3D printed molds on that, you bondoed to smooth all the printing lines out and then sanded that down. Is that something that you had to do on this one or were the prints smooth enough now that you could kind of just wing it? Uh, I'm printing. I think I'm just going to go with that as part of the design. Okay. Because everything else is going to be smooth and kind of space age. And uh, I sort of factored that into the thing. There's no sort of curved surfaces. They're all right angles. So it kind of looks like it has a grain to it. So I'm, I'm not mad at that at all. Cool. Yeah, it's been really fun. I'm printing hinges, doing some really intricate parts. And yeah, the machines have just gotten a lot better than than they used to be. So yeah, shout out to Matter Hackers. Like, you know, printing in nylon is just something that didn't really seem that conceivable for a home computer uh, a while ago. So that's been a lot of fun. But I think I might actually do the finished parts out of PLA, which is the kind of cheaper, more standard, just because there's more color options and it's a lot cheaper. Awesome. Well, Chris, what have you been working on? Yeah, so I don't know if you guys can tell by listening to me or by seeing me, maybe the two of you, but I'm just like super tired right now. Not so much physically tired, but more, you know, like sleep deprived tired. And that's because for the past couple of days, I had Sam from DIY Huntress and Alicia from Pneumatic Addict over here. We were collabing on a very quick project. So they got in on Friday, like probably three o'clock in the afternoon or so, and were gone by Sunday morning. So basically that gave us, you know, day and a half or half a day Friday and all day Saturday. But like, I mean, we were really getting work done to, to make sure we got it all done. So <laughs> we were up until probably like 1.30 on Friday and then back in the shop by 10 o'clock on Saturday morning and here till like 3.30 in the morning on Saturday. Or wow. I guess it'd be Sunday morning. Um, but and we so got you it guys all did one big project all together instead of individual things, right? Yeah, I would say one uh, medium-sized project altogether. Right. <laughs> so basically, we yeah, we needed to think like what's something that we can all have a hand in, but that we can get done really quickly. So Rockler had asked me if I was interested in one of the videos that I do for them of, I guess now they have, I don't know if you guys have seen them, but for their hairpin legs, they have these like sh- shelf brackets. So you could actually make a hairpin like coffee table and have a shelf in it. So wow. like, yeah, I'll no, give I didn't a know try. about that. So yeah, I looked up the pictures and like I noticed everything was square. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if they would work with a circular coffee table. I've actually never made a circular coffee table either. So I figured, okay, I'll give it a try. Let's see if it works. So I made it, I cut out two circles, one bigger than the other, obviously, one for the top, one for the shelf. And then it worked. So glad to report that worked. And I figured <laughs> I could do this. And then I know they also wanted to see like how I make the typical kind of legs that I make in a project. So I figured, okay, that can be another part of the video is we'll abandon the hairpin legs and make just some regular coffee table legs for it. And I'll actually kind of walk them through it and have them do the bulk of the work. They were like some classic four eyes tapered legs. Classic four eyes, yep. Nice. And then um, for their individual parts of it, so we had Sam do some kind of pattern work on it and we weren't sure exactly what we were going to do. And it kind of came out 
a little bit similar to your table, Mike, that you made when you were here, where you did like you the know, lines that kept getting spaced further apart. Did you see pictures? I was, I was following along in the Instagram stories, and I thought the same thing. I they wasn't going to. I wasn't going to call anybody out, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but it actually it came out pretty cool. Like the the pattern she ended up coming out with was kind of like a Y sort of, yeah. but um, like a bunch of lines that make it up, and it has this sort of modern like Southwest vibe to it is how I would describe it. That's funny. Cause that's exactly what I was getting from it too. And I thought it was really cool because Sam, uh, DIY Huntress does a great job of patterns. She just did a sliding barn door that had a really cool pattern yeah. on it. And so I think she was definitely the right person to, to like just wing it and go for it. But y'all yeah. got, y'all stained it somehow too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. So then that was Alicia's main focus was, and, and so we bleached it. We used white oak and we bleached it. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but man, it comes out white. Like really? Yeah. If you want some white looking wood, this is, you would like this. So okay. she walked us through that whole process. And then we also, so what we did was we bleached the entire thing white and then actually got an oak stain and stained part of it <laughs> back to, so it just looks like it wasn't bleached at all. And then another part of it, we used the India ink on. So it's like basically white oak and black. But, you know, you can awesome. see the grain through all of it. So it, it doesn't look like it's painted or anything. And it came out cool. Like, it's a, it's a pretty cool finish. And then also, I had never spray finished anything. So we actually, she brought her, is it Fiji or Fuji? Fuji sprayer? Fuji. Okay, Fuji yeah. sprayer. And we used that. And it was nice, man. Like, I would definitely like to, at some point, try doing some more spray finishing. Like, it's a, it's a little pain in the butt in terms of, like, setting up and cleaning. But then, like, once you're actually finishing it, it just goes so fast. Especially if mm -hmm. you were ever finishing something with a lot of nooks and crannies in it, it's a lot more simple. Right on. So I've got to ask, yep. do you think it ended up looking better with the hairpin legs or with some wooden tapered legs? Um, it's actually, okay, for this specific project, I think that the, the hairpin legs probably are more in line with it because of the, because the top has a lot going on. I think that using something simple like hairpin legs actually falls in line with that better if it mm -hmm. was just a plain circle then i would say the the wooden legs that's cool well it's funny because a lot of times whenever i use hairpin legs or some sort of prefab legs mm -hmm. i worry that people watch that video and think that it's a sort of cop-out as yeah. in like oh he just didn't want to take the time to build legs he just slapped those on but right. a lot of times it's exactly what you're saying the simplicity of some simple square legs or hairpin legs just let the top look better Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And I guess I kind of feel that way too. And that might be one of the reasons that I felt compelled to show how you could make legs for this project also and sort of do it two ways. But yeah, I think that there are, they, they do have a time and a place. It's not just like always the easy way out. Totally. It's funny. I uh, was, I was staging the theater room with a bunch of older modern builds projects. So a sofa that I built a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. a coffee table that I built out of an old bowling alley lane. And that coffee table just has simple square metal legs. But it's that same situation of, I don't care what the legs look like. The cool thing about it is the fact that the coffee table top is an old bowling alley lane. So, right. so it's just finding the right time and the right place to use it for sure. Right. Okay, now here, this, this may be something we can talk about in this podcast or we can decide to skip it all together. But piggybacking off of your theater room. So... I'm going to be doing a, a projector project also. We kind of talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, the yeah. possibility of integrating it into the bed and all that. But they really wanted me to do something outdoors. So I pitched Ooh. them several ideas. And the one that they ended up going with 
was kind of the one that I think is the least exciting. Dang it. I hate that that thing. I think you talked about it a week or two ago, Ben, the idea of pitching a bomb idea, but then the sponsor choosing the worst of the two. That sucks. Luckily, it's very vague. So there's a lot of things. There'd be a lot of wiggle room in terms of being able to do some things to make it exciting, hopefully. So basically what they want to go with, one of the things I pitched that they decided upon was, remember in my backyard, I had built like all the plywood furniture, I don't know, a year ago or so, last summer pretty much. And so there's this one wall that still didn't have anything on it, which would be great for projecting onto. Like it'd be a great place. Everything's kind of facing towards it already if you want to do like backyard movie night type stuff. So what they want to go with is basically like when it's not being used as a theater, there's going to be this kind of like um, just more seating there. So it'd be like three boxes. It's either going to be three or two boxes. So either two medium-sized boxes or three smaller boxes. They would sit there. I'm going to put some cushions on top of them. So it's just more seating for the backyard if we're having a party or whatever. But then they can all roll out and kind of become like an ottoman slash coffee table where the projector will come out of it and project onto the wall. So it's like it quickly transforms into a theater but doesn't look like a theater the rest of the time. So if I were to have three boxes or two boxes, one of them's going to house all of the projection equipment and, you know, it'll move over and become the projector. But with the other two boxes, they could either just move over and become more seating or I might be able to do something else that kind of like ties into the whole theater idea. You know, and like the obvious place your head goes is like, oh, you could do like a popcorn maker in one. But that's like, is that really that realistic? Or I don't know, like I'm, I'm open to ideas. Well, my immediate reaction is I like the idea of it folding away and being concealed when it's not in use because that's going to be the majority of the time. So it's not that awesome to have a projector and everything set up, especially outside. So I like that it tucks away. But the other two Ottomans, it almost makes me just think fall back to some good seating Yeah, because that's the whole move, right? Is like focus on the seating and maybe some auxiliary storage. Yeah, I mean, that kind of seems like the obvious. So it would be very easy to just do storage and have them be seating. I just mm-hmm. worry that like, you know, there, part of me is like, okay, well, I mean, that's what they wanted. And so that's what I do or that's what I'll right. do. But I just worry, like, how's it going to perform? Like, is that going to be that compelling to people True. when they see that? So if, if there right. are it's, some other things that could work in there, it would be nice. Right. The challenge is almost if that's the project, I think it's a cool project and it's a functional project. But what right. do you call it? What do you title it? Right. How do you take a picture that conveys it for a thumbnail? That's almost yeah. the real challenge, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. Uh, easy setup theater. <laughs> I don't know. Quick change theater Ottomans. Right. <laughs> it's not very searchable. Everybody's yeah, searching it constantly. Yeah, I don't so know, I don't but know. I would like to see you break out like a sewing machine and maybe do some Ottomans that have like sewn seats or something. That could be fun. Yeah, I was thinking I mean, about it that. Doesn't... Like, what should I do actually for the seating? Like, should I just try to make my own very simple cushions? Should I just go buy some ready-mades? I just made cushions for that outdoor lounge chair that I posted yeah. about on Instagram. I'm still waiting for final sponsor approval before I released the YouTube video. But I did those cushions and it didn't require any sewing. I bought outdoor canvas and I got outdoor closed cell foam and I used a plywood back. So I put the foam down, put the plywood on top and then wrapped the canvas around and then stapled it to the plywood. Right. And it's nice because the cushions are pretty heavy and won't blow away. So 
And you just buy the foam and then cut it to size or you order it foamfactory.com you can order it to size or you can order a big sheet and cut it yourself with a you know with a knife okay all right yeah that i mean that could be another thing to like work into the video to make it you know so that i'm doing more of the work rather than just building boxes and sticking a projector into them Mm -hmm. but it still doesn't solve the problem of functionality almost or 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 what the content is all around make it compel yeah compelling to click on clickability yeah I would think of it I would think about more the way that you're sitting, right? I think the the from a thumbnail standpoint, what would be intriguing would be sort of a three quarter profile shot where you see the projection, you see the screen, you see it outside, but you so you're also kind of seeing the people sitting at a rough thing. Watching a movie and sitting straight up isn't very comfortable. Movie theaters are not that comfortable. People always slouch in the seat. They actually want to be right. more kind of like three quarters reclined in like yeah. a lounge chair. So I think, you know, there's also a way that you you could make some sort of like lounge chair type thing where you're you're in that sort of like full length uh, recliner kind of mode. Mm-hmm. And if you could make that in a way that's modular or, or folds up, and, and and closes or you know i think th- that would add the the level of difficulty and functionality because sitting at like on on a on a on a horizontal surface with a like a chair back no one yeah, wants this to wouldn't sit even in. have a chair back so right be, yeah you'd literally just be sitting on a box so that's yeah that's like you wouldn't want to sit on a stool and watch a two-hour movie right right <laughs> That's very so, true. I think really addressing those kind of things and making it like I think like a great project to do would be doing like the ultimate gamer chair. And you'll see some of those. They actually sell them as products. They're these they're these kind of like uh, zero gravity chair kind of things. Yeah. Where they I remember they used dis- to have them. They would almost be like a car seat in a way. Right. It like was kind of like curved on the bottom and could rock yeah. and stuff. It, it distributes all your weight and it like holds your head positions at the right angle for the screen. So you can like really just focus all your energy on that Mountain Dew uh, code red <laughs> and your, uh, <laughs> uh, your controls. So I and think, your Twizzlers, which are apparently more popular than Red Vines. Right. So and, and that would be my pushback to them is saying that like watching a two hour movie on a backless chair is not really that practical. Yeah, I'm going to that that's actually a pretty cool idea and that would add a lot more um craftsmanship into it right. than just being simple boxes. Yeah, you, I would definitely think You could make something where it's idea. like it's like a box that's like it's like a double tall box that's cut at an angle. So when it and it's hinged so when it folds over, it kind of makes like a lounge chair kind of profile uh but still could stack like a like something too. So if you if you want to make something collapsible and foldable, starting with a more a more dynamic geometry will make that a lot more impressive. Mm-hmm. Maybe for the thumbnail to make it clickable, I just show like the most boring possible picture of a box and say, "This is an outdoor movie theater." Whoa, no. mind blowing! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you got a real challenge on your hands there. I'm I'm interested to see what you come up with. And it's funny, I was testing out my projector, which, shout out to LG, that thing is sharp. It, it really does look great. Nice. And I watched your Nintendo Switch TV build yes. again. And that video is going crazy. And I think that's a testament to having a killer thumbnail and a good yeah. project to back it up. A yeah, good looking guy in that thumbnail really helps. Yeah, well, 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, yeah, that one has like, you know, it's been out now for, it was probably out for a week and a half. And then all of a sudden, like it just caught fire. And in the past, mm-hmm. you know, we're recording this on a Monday. I think it was like probably Friday that it really started cooking. And in those, I don't know, four days or whatever, it's gotten like 800,000 views. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And and so that is a project that lends itself perfectly to a thumbnail. Oh, yeah. It's almost like cookie. You don't have co- to say like anything. Perfect. Yeah. You don't even have to say anything. Right. And so with this one, it's almost the opposite of that. But it regardless, is, yeah. man, you're going to get it. I know you will. Yeah. You got think the brain power. I, I do like the idea of just like coming up with a way of making Ben brought up a very good point of like, yeah, I even in movie theaters, I always get uncomfortable or even on my couch, I'll get uncomfortable just because I want to move around. So definitely making something that's more than just a box would be nice. So that was kind of one of the reasons of actually having it where the boxes aren't even seating. I was thinking initially like, well, what can I do with the other boxes? Because, you know, the one that the projector's in is not going to be seating. So would there be other sorts of things that are movie theater ish? I mean, I guess you could. do some kind of like surround sound <laughs> like have speakers <laughs> in them where like each one goes on the side and has has speak that would actually be kind of cool too right now that like, i'm thinking about it like you've got your main speaker in the box but you can also pull some speakers out of the box and then kind of place them behind you for surround sound yeah what if like you just quickly roll those boxes into places and like are there wireless things that would be good for that or even just like you know like amazon echoes or something like that that could be a good that question way? Yeah, There's got to be. Into that. Yeah, I'm sure. You know what? Some... You could throw those those Ryobi 18 volt Bluetooth speakers. I think you can hook <laughs> like put... eight of those up together, and they've got a range of like a few hundred feet. There you go. I got a. I, I do have a Hikoki wireless boombox. So oh, that's there my we woofer. Go. I don't know though, but I think your title, if that ends up being your project, it could be something along the lines of DIY outdoor movie theater in a box. Yeah. What's in the something box? Like that. What's in the box? And then yep. you throw Brad Pitt in the thumbnail. <laughs> yep. With Golden. <laughs> yep. With the most confused face possible. <laughs> All right. Well, we got our project. Done and done. Thank you, boys. And now let's not send it to a sponsor because we don't have one this episode, guys. <laughs> I know that's everybody's favorite question. part of our episode, but we're going to have to tuning just, out right now. We're just going to have to wait until next week to listen to a quality Modern Maker podcast ad read. So sorry. <laughs> But we do have a good question from one of our listeners. Ben, do you have that queued up? Yes, this is from Hamish D. Clark on Instagram. And he says, hey, Ben, question for the podcast. How does a learner become a teacher? I'm a massive fan of the podcast. Thank you. Both of your both of your design innovations and perspectives on content creation and would love to hear the modern maker's take on how to be an effective teacher. I'm currently progressing from carpenter to contractor, and with our first baby on the way, I'm considering a soft slide into content creation. Awesome. All of which requires me to up my game as an inspirational and educational motivator. With your experience in running an architecture firm and teaching at Cornell, Chris's understanding of fatherhood, and Mike's level 1000 content, I thought there'd be no better group than to answer this question. Cheers from Hamish. All right, cheers, Hamish from Brisbane, Australia. Wow. Down under. Very thorough. That was a good question. All right, well, Ben, since since he wrote to you, let's hear your let's hear a hot take from you right off the top. So right I don't consider top. myself a teacher. <laughs> Ooh. That was I was gonna say the first place Cop that my head right. Well, with what we do, I mean you're kind of simultaneously teaching and learning. Like, right. Mm-hmm. 
we definitely will ask the audience quite a bit for input on things. And like, there's not a week that goes by that I don't get a tip from somebody. I'm like, I am sure there are my videos have a educational aspect to a lot of people. And parts of that are intentional, but it's not what I'm creating. And I think it's dangerous to think of yourself as a teacher. I think I'll, I'll put it this way. I think some of the most annoying people on the internet are people that th consider themselves life coaches. <laughs> I, th I just find something personally <laughs> distasteful about that. But I think there's something that you can be learned from any person that has uh, interesting experiences and that is a good storyteller and a good communicator. I, I learn from all sorts of people. I don't, but the minute somebody puts on their, their life coaching hat and attitude and starts yelling at their, their phone and their Instagram stories, I find that like something I'm not interested in. So I think because of those biases that I have, I, that's partially the way I don't sort of consider myself that. Also, I think when I watch people trying to be educational, I find the content becomes really redundant and slow and not really reflective because I think it it's built upon not a really creative and critical take on on how people learn. It's based on past experiences and they they teach like an educational video from the 90s and it's very redundant and they start with the bullet points and here's the PowerPoint presentation and they they lose me. So, I'm okay in having an educational impact. I would like to have that impact. But I think there's a danger to sort of thinking of yourself as actively going out there and producing it. I like to think of like, I want to do things and I'm going to share how I did those. And people will pull different lessons from that. Right. But for me to actually sort of say I'm intentionally creating educational content, I have to assume a lot about the audience, where they're at. Is this beginner level? Is this advanced level? Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Right. So I like to sort of think of it more as a as a maker's diary and I will share things and different people will learn different things from them but the minute I think you try to normalize that into educational content at least for me it's stuff that I become less interested in yeah I think that's kind of the good so I my mind was kind of going to the same spot about like whatever I'm putting out there is more of just showing you like here's what I did and here's why I did it and, you know, hopefully 80% of the things that I'm doing, I'm doing about as efficiently as somebody can, but I'm sure there are plenty of things that I'm doing inefficiently. And so it all, by, if you were focusing on teaching, then you have like one specific audience in mind for that. And that would be people who don't know something and are trying to learn it. Whereas if you're just documenting it, it's going to speak to them in different ways. So somebody who's on my exact same level could just be inspirational. Somebody who really is just getting into this, hopefully they're learning from something from it. That 20% that I was talking about where, you know, maybe I'm not being as efficient or maybe not doing things right. If somebody's super advanced and watching it, it's a learnable moment for me rather than a teachable moment. Right. And do you, you guys are aware that a lot of people were complaining about the last season of Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. And part of the reason why is, is they were, you know, they're, when people criticize television, they'll often use the term show us, don't tell us. So when, when writers rely on exposition or a character saying, oh, well, we lost half of our men in traveling from here to there, they go, oh, can, yeah. can you show that instead of just having this like character give a monologue to kind of do that? I think the same thing happens from a content standpoint 
when people try to make educational content. They do a lot of show, a lot of telling and not showing. And I'm seeing that more and more, especially in the YouTube maker space where, and, and this is totally up to what people want to do and I'm not criticizing. Well, I guess I am criticizing Here it, we go. but everybody has the right to do anything they want and I'm telling them not, and I'm not telling them what to do, but so many people, it seems in an effort to create longer videos, because that's what YouTube wants. They mm-hmm. go through this process now of explaining what they're going to do on camera and then oh. doing it set to music rather than just doing it with a voiceover or doing it while you're explaining it. It's this thing of, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do and then I'm going to do it. So it's not one or the other, but it's both. And I don't think right. both is particularly better. Yeah. It, it it's, it's the danger, I think, of overly focusing on one thing. It's the same thing. Ah, here's the food analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. If when you start with saying, I'm going to make a, like a healthy meal, <laughs> Right. Or you might just sort of say, I'm going to start with like making this delicious meal and I'm going to cut out the parts that are the least healthy and focus more on the parts that are, right? Both can be totally viable ways to something that is delicious and healthy, but the way you approach it could inform it a lot more than you think. So my my, my thoughts would be I, to sort of wrap up that I, I love that there's educational impacts of what I'm doing. I also love that some people just watch it because they just like to see sort of competency in action. But I don't think that like creating educational content is like my focus because I think I just want to more do demos than instruction. So for me, I, I agree a lot with what you're saying in the fact that I don't identify as a teacher. But I also recognize, well, it's like what I said earlier, the idea of information is more valuable than inspiration. I think that's something that is true. I don't know if it is, but that's kind of my take on this whole content thing. And so I feel whenever I'm creating a video or doing a project, I almost feel like a responsibility to make sure and go into the details that explain what I'm doing enough that someone can watch my video and replicate it completely. So whether that's giving measurements, giving materials and tools, giving technique advice, and then even going all the way to providing PDF, like downloadable plans. Right. All of this isn't necessarily making it educational content, but I do feel like responsible, like I said, to get people there. See, I, I would argue, oh, here, here's the hot take Ooh, that we can, we can right. debate. I would argue that publishing plans, I think is a great thing. I think it's a great way to share design and make and, and get more get the actual physical projects in more people's hands, I would also argue it's a it teaches people less because Maybe. right It's like the same thing when when I was teaching when I was teaching at universities if if you're teaching a design class or a making class and you just give people step by step instructions, they don't in, in my mind, I find that the the knowledge that they gain is less sticky than when they have to kind of you give them a, the concept for a challenge or something they have to make, and there's specific instructions on how to use the tools and connect the materials and the specs that they need to 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 perform to and to create. But they learn and they retain much better when they don't have step by step, you know, a connect the dots kind of coloring book uh, version of it. I like that, but at but where's the parallel of a university student versus a second or fourth grader? You're not going to do that same sort of creative prompt to a second or third grader 
that needs those step by steps to walk them through it. Yeah. And so for me, well, I don't know about the modern builds it. audience, but I like to think well, of the homemade <laughs> modern audience is a little bit more like you know college students than like second or fourth graders. But you know, you can speak well, for your no, own audience. <laughs> all right, all right. Twist my words. Shots Twist fired. my words. I think the way I'm putting it though is I'm trying to ref- parallel that with yeah. the idea of somebody that's as competent as building or better than I am. That person's not going to download my plans. He's right. going to see what I built. He's going to adopt it for his space. He's going to take the gist and be creative with that. Yeah. But there might be somebody that just stumbled on the YouTube scene and I'm the third video they've ever watched right. and they're about to pick up a circular saw for the first time. Right. And so for that person, the inspiration is valuable, yes, but the information that I can provide is that key element that's going to make them appreciate my content for one and hopefully yeah. get them to come back and 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 find value in it. You know, this so we're kind of going to get off on a little tangent here, but going back to what something you just said Mike about that person isn't going to download your plans. I actually disagree with that because I think there's Ooh. a lot of people out there who are very competent builders that just either for whatever reason they consider themselves not creative or they just oh. like don't have the time and they just want to be like that's cool I want to build that thing I'll get a plan. I think that there is that audience out there. You know, I always well, I try to that- tell them like no you can be creative but like maybe they just don't want to be for whatever reason. Like that's just not they their don't thing feel they just want to build something. In- Right. I guess not everyone feels particularly inspired to make something unique. They just want something that serves the need that they have in right. the space this that is it cool fits. looking. I want to build that thing. I'm happy to pay 20 bucks to see what all the dimensions are and get the cut list. I mean, I guess that's the whole, the Wood Whisperer Guild. That's that whole idea of saying, these are yeah. people that know how to woodwork. They're good yeah. at it. And they're, they're, they're in the hybrid woodworking kind of thing that Mark Spagnolo is all about. But it's it's full on PDF plans yeah. and courses and video tutorials all on building a project. Right. Yeah. See, to me, I, I think that's one of the things that's made me so reluctant to, or not reluctant, but has made me take so long to get into plans is because I'm just the type of person that would never use a plan. Like it just doesn't appeal to me, but I have to say, well, not everybody's like you. Like there are people right. that do want <laughs> to do that. And so if you step outside yourself, like there, there is an audience for that. I think, Hmm. Now to go back to the original question that the guy asked, so if he's about you know being a teacher or whatever, I'll assume that he's asking for advice on that. And now, given everything that we've said, we've said, so then what would the advice be? Would it be don't worry about being a teacher, like just do what it is that you want to do, and there are going to be teachable moments in that inherently? I don't know. It's do what you're best at. Do what you have the patience for and the skill to to also do. Right. It's I mean it's hard to be objective about yourself to be like what are the part what are the knowledge and experiences that I have that would benefit other people. But that's that's I would start with that inventory. Hmm. And I would be very ruthless with that. There's nothing worse when somebody thinks they're teaching a bunch of people something that everyone already knows. <laughs> So one, don't get carried away with titling yourself and then trying to live up to that title. I would say it's much more just show what you can do, like whatever you can make. Uh, Don't pretend to be a chef. Just cook (laughs) for people. Yeah. I know how to make a really good grilled cheese. Right. And watch and learn what they, how they react to the things that you produce and then produce more of the type of stuff that people get the most benefit from. I like that a lot. It, what you just said reminded me of the home theater video where I did a couple things that were 
basically out of order. I should have done flooring before I did a couple of accent and trim pieces. And in hindsight, I realized that immediately. And so in my voiceover and in the video, I explained what I was doing, but I also explained right now I'm making, I'm messing up right now, but I'm still going to show you. I'm going to tell you why I did it wrong. I'm going to tell you what I did wrong and why I did it wrong and how to not repeat that same mistake. So me, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, what's up? I'm HGTV property brother. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about how to renovate a house. I'm coming into it saying, hey, I'm a DIYer. I like to build things. And this is the project that I want to complete. Let me show you my experience. Uh, Mm -hmm. Learn from it. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from what I did well. Maybe find a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of info, and maybe help yeah. that lower lower the barrier to entry if you want to do something similar. Right. Right. If you think about it that way, in a way, the most valuable thing that we bring to the table possibly could be that we're doing it the first time so that when you do it the first time, it's kind of the second time. Right. We'll make and the mistakes sh- for you. Exactly. You it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I think a way to think about it would be considering providing instructions versus demonstrating problem solving. So I got a, a, a direct message the other day about the container house. And this very nice lady was asking about how much would it cost to build this, to build the house you built in Maine? And it's a really tricky question because one, uh, you're not from Maine, so right. you don't know how much and things cost. She's there. asking how to build a house that wasn't built for Maine would cost a building that. So I'd be like, one, oh. you wouldn't want to build the same house here that you would there. I said, whatever it is, it'll probably be cheaper. You know, the first thing I asked is like, are you following building code and getting permits? And she at her answer was, uh, yes, but it's not very, <laughs> you know, it's totally easy here. It's not as hard there. And I'm like, well, that's not really answering the, you know, the, the, the question. So I'm like, are, is there going to be an inspector that comes? And she said, yes. I'm like, all right. Well, that means you're billing to International Building Code, which means that containers are not going to be a cheaper way to, 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 to build for you. Also, like you know, that climate is significantly harsher. You're going to want a lot more insulation, and therefore you're going to need thicker walls, which means your container spaces are going to be even more cramped. Mm. But it was really hard to explain because she wanted this simplistic answer. She wanted instruction, like, okay, tell me the number for this question. And she didn't want to actually understand the the differences of her climate and particular situation and all these things. Hmm. So it's it's where everyone as keeps asking me how much does it cost to build a container house, and then they do it. But this is it's it's that drive to get simplistic answers for complex things, which is why we get these clickbaity stupid articles about ten thousand dollars you know three D printed houses, is because right. you know people complain about the media. But it's the media is only serving up in a very trial and error way what the most idiots click on. So if you are complaining about clickbaiting and, you know, the sort of fall of journalism, all these things, really you should be complaining to your fellow sort of uh, uh, audience members about like, oh, first of all, am I contributing to this? Am I clicking on this this garbage and this, you know, this this poorly – uh, communicated crap, and am I being too simplistic in trying to demand simple answers in areas that are complex and need to be understood as concepts, not just sticker prices? Yeah, you make a good point. I think you left Mike and I both dumbfounded. 
Well, so well, no. <laughs> did, did you see? You, you guys saw the lounge chair I just built, right? Right. And the concept for it is two two by twelves. A two by twelve, two by twelves are the bread, and a two by six <laughs> is the meat and the sandwich. And you could really set that and that that two by six uh, meat part could be set at any angle and it could be any length depending on your preference for the backrest, right? Right. So it should be. I'll. I think I'll end up making drawings for it. But my preference for how high I want the backrest is aesthetic and also for my own personal comfort, the way I sit. And it really could be any length and any angle. So it's like if I make – I know if I make the plans the way I made it, there will be people that complain, oh, well, it should be this. So really it it should just be communicating the concept of make make the 2 by 12 2 by 6 sandwich – and set it to your own sort of preference in terms of angle and length. Yeah. Well, that was something I was surprised by moving out to Joshua Tree was the price of lumber is different. And I think we all get that comment all the time of how much did this cost, whether it was a shipping container or a coffee table. And the question is, or the answer is, I don't know. I gave a materials list. You know, I told you it's for that project, you know, it's however many two by sixes and however many two by twelves. Maybe you can do that math to figure it out. But I can't know how much a two by four costs in Oregon, as well as Arizona, as well as New Mexico and in Maine, and then tell you how much this project costs because it's going to be different everywhere you're at. I'm going to just start saying a million dollars for everything. How much is that wood? Million dollars. How much is a container house? Million bucks. And if you're interested, I'll sell it to you for, you know, a discounted rate of what? 900,000. Wow. Nice. Cutting you a deal. (laughs) I'm losing money on this, bro. Yeah. I just really like your face. So yeah. 900000 Okay, so with this thought process, this being a teacher versus being a source of inspiration or just chronicling what you're doing, where does mm-hmm. someone like Bob Ross, where does he fit into this? Is he an educator or is he just getting you started? Is he a launch pad? I think he's a launch pad. I think he's an inspiration type guy. I used to watch him all the time, like in sixth grade. I used uh-huh. to have my dad just record it and then I would come home from school and watch it every day. So I've seen... yeah a lot of Bob Ross. And if it was like from a technical point of view, like he was doing it so quick. And and I think honestly, most of what he was doing was like, not so much hard, but it was a lot of muscle memory that he was putting on display. And he wasn't teaching you like how to to develop that muscle memory, really, you would just kind of have to do it and, and you'd fumble your way through it for you know, maybe several years, who knows how long it takes to get that kind of expertise, or if you even have the ability to get that expertise in the first place. But I think what he was doing was mostly entertainment and inspiration, which I think is probably what most of what all of us do. Infotainment or demotainment? (laughs) All of the above, all the portmanteaus. I I would say he's doing a demonstration. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of instructive value within that demonstration. But I think the thing that was great about him is he was kind of doing time-lapse stuff, but he's just so good. He was, could yeah. do it in real speed, and it was like time-lapse <laughs> for everyone else, right? And, and he was so good, he never had to really worry about messing up. Right. And if he did, it's just a happy treat. He probably knew, yeah, he knew how to cover it up right away. So yeah. when I watched one of his stuff, I get the, the primary educational value I get is how paintings are layered, right? Mm-hmm. How it... it you you don't just draw you don't work your way from the left hand corner and draw everything in detail and work your way to the right you're layer you're you're layering in detail and highlights and shadows and those things 
-hmm. So the I learned a ton from those. But the things that I learned, as I, I'm not going to paint like Bob Ross. I don't like that kind of like, you know, it's, it's not my aesthetic. But even if I was doing a more modern painting or stuff like that, what I learned from him is don't try to draw it like a picture the way a kid would, where they draw the house and then they draw the car next to the house. It would be like layer in your your backgrounds and your foregrounds and your highlights and your details and your happy little clouds and mountains and stuff like that. If if thinking thinking of a of a painting as a series of layers would be the master lesson I took away. And I got that lesson by watching this demonstration of showing how a bunch of abstract steps create a very more photorealistic layering over time. Yep. I like that. And it's funny because I think that's what HGTV misses. They they like just totally strike out on that of they're doing their best to provide that inspiration with a good before and after and maybe a little bit of drama. But they lack showing anything that's instructive like instructive. I was watching an episode of one of these shows. I don't remember what it was called. And there was this segment, you know, they're about to send it to commercial, so they've got to hook you somehow. And so they're in the process of framing out this house, and the chick measures the opening for where the toilet is going to be next to the shower, and it's only 30 inches. It was supposed to be 34, so it could be up to code. And so, you know, it goes to her with the ha, 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 ha music where she's measuring it, and she's like, <laughs> oh, no, what are we going to do? And then you sit through four minutes of commercials. You watch that entire segment over again, just in case if you came in during yeah. the commercial. And then all it all it is is her husband. You're holding removed. the tape measure upside down. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> funny if that was it. You're on the metric side, hun. Yeah. Um, literally, all he did was remove one of the two by fours for the shower pan, scoot it over the width of a two by four, screw it back uh, down and scoot that little wall over. It was a two minute solution in real time, but it took yeah. nine minutes of television between them doing it, doing commercials, showing it all over again, and then finally coming up with a solution. Like it was a fit. It was a faster fix in real life than it was on TV. <laughs> yeah. They slowed time down somehow. And it's just this thing where I guess you just have a bunch of TV producers where they're TV producers. They're not, they're not builders. They're not renovators. They just know we've got to have something to hook them during a commercial. And so for them, maybe that's what they think is compelling. But to somebody that's building or interested in this, I'm just looking at this like, why are you wasting my time with this? I already know the solution. Just do it. Right. Or don't even show it because it's not even a real problem. It's just those things that probably happen during framing where somebody doesn't put a, a wall exactly where it's supposed to be. Right. So like, yeah, my, my, my takeaway that I hope people get from my content is less cut this piece to 30 inches, this piece to eight, eight inches, and then screw them together at right angles. To me, that's, that's not, not a very aspirational transformational change in an audience. What yeah. I hope they get is like, huh, you really can do a lot with just a circular saw drill and orbital sander, no workbench, and just like a, you know, 30 square feet of floor space and a, mm. and a speed square. That those are much more the empowering kind of messages I want to I, I I hope to sort of convey more than you know the this the the instruction or recipe of cut to this piece then that piece goes to this piece knee bone connects to the thigh bone etc. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I agree, and it's and and I try my best to keep that in mind when I'm making content too. Realizing the things that are going to be geared towards the beginner maker or somebody that's kind of new to the game, 
or where it is one of those projects where it's more follow me along, see what I'm doing and get and take your own takeaway from that. You know, there's some projects where I keep the Craig track saw tucked away now that I have it and I make sure and use a circular saw and a straight edge because the audience that I'm expecting to to watch that video or that project is more likely to have that rather than a track right. saw. So yeah. I think being objective with yourself, like what you mentioned earlier, and doing your best to meet audience expectation, but staying authentic to what your goal is, that's 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 the move. Boom. Good call. Cool. Well, what, what are you guys obsessed with this week? Can mm. I get, can I go ahead and give mine first now that I go just heard an HGTV rant, rant? Please. HGTV. Do as it. much as I hate DIY Network and HGTV because it's a bunch of trash, suburban before and afters, I'm going to give a shout out to the show Restored by the Fords. It is, I think, a brother and sister team. They're in Pittsburgh, if I'm correct, out there mm. with old John Malecki. Ooh. And they're doing really interesting spaces. The brother is kind of the builder. The sister is the designer. She does a great job of incorporating monochromatic things. The majority of what she does is either white or black, but she still keeps it fresh, unique, and definitely... I guess edgier than what HGTV is typically doing. I think the whole Chip and Joanna Games farmhouse aesthetic is getting a little played out on TV. And so it's no, cool it's not getting somebody. It well, all right, cool. <laughs> I was giving them a little bit of leeway. I'm glad that you're not. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, since that, since that whole look is completely played out in my book, it's cool to see somebody with a little bit of a fresh take on TV doing something a little more contemporary and tasteful. So shout out to Restored by the Fords. And shout out to my mom for watching a lot of HGTV and me Turning kind of walking past it one day. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got, what about you guys? I got two. The oh, first yeah. one is Dave Hackens from Precious Plastics. So he is a, a young man, I think, in the Netherlands. And he's developed a whole series of machines that help recycle uh, plastic waste and produce usable textiles and materials out of them, whether it be extrusions that you could use instead of wood for, for building furniture and the like, or filaments for 3D printers, and then other little items. And he creates these different kind of like shredders and melters and presses that kind of turn plastic trash into usable goods. That's awesome. It's a really interesting area. Uh, and he sort of uh, provides plans for the machines that he designs so that you can download instructions and build your own machines to recycle plastic. So obviously this is an, an incredible project. He doesn't have that many Instagram followers. So go give Dave Hackens, H-A-K-K-E-N-S, a follow and tell him that we sent you. Is that his handle? Is it at Dave Hackens? Yeah. Awesome. The other one is a podcast and it's a it's a business podcast that I... I really like. And these are two people I've followed for a long time individually, and they now have a podcast together. The first one is Scott Galloway, who's a NYU Stearns business professor. He has a great YouTube channel. He predicts a lot of things in tech and about how different companies are sort of behaving and winners and losers. And he's just a really interesting, and I also think he's kind of funny. He teamed up with Kara Swisher, who's like one of the leading reporters in tech in Silicon Valley. And she's just this like hard ass lady that is like kind of a little bit grumpy, but like really 
is good at interrogating a lot of these like billionaires and holding them accountable, which is what, you know, good, good media does. So they have a podcast together called Pivot, where they break down different things and they make predictions, which takes some stones to actually go on the record and say, oh, we think this is what's going to happen with like the Lyft IPO and the Uber IPO and, and sure. Airbnb. So it's a, it's a fun podcast where I learn a ton. It's a great name too. Yep. Nice. So I didn't really have anything this week, but I was just looking at my Instagram and what I've been looking at a lot lately. And I noticed that I've been looking at a lot of graphic design stuff lately. Hmm. And I think that, so what I'll say is my shout out will be, if you're feeling like burnt out about woodworking and furniture stuff, take some time away from it and look at other things that interest you because you might find inspiration in that that can reignite or translate back into other things that you're doing. Like personally, I, I get very burnt out right now of looking at word woodworking stuff just because I'm around it so much of the time that then if I'm just like kind of relaxing before bed or something, I don't want to look at it. So right. I find that that helps. Yeah. And you could see some interesting shapes or some interesting colors that lend themselves to exactly. another creative idea that is woodworking. So I love that. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't worry. Next week, we will have an ad read. Yes. So don't stress about right. it. It's going to be okay. So hopefully this doesn't knock us down to number two. Right. And you'll be locks. okay making your own purchasing decisions for one week without our guidance. That's right. But I do want to give a big thank you. Three weeks in a row. It could be longer than that. I just found out about it three weeks ago. Three weeks in a row. Number one visual arts podcast. We are tearing up the charts. So thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back every week and making us a part of your kind of weekly routine. I think that's so amazing. And and we really do appreciate it greatly. Yes, thanks. Yeah, thank you. So thanks, guys. And we'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.